On this week's show, I got to chat with the hottest photographer on the planet right now, Mike Mez. We get to talk about all incredible and awesome stuff like volcanoes, tornadoes, lightning, crazy weather and natural disasters. Mike has photographed them all. So come join me as we have a fantastic chat with this legend, Mike Mez. I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Very welcome to episode 154. My name is Darren. I'm your host this evening, and I'm joined by the legend, the man, the myth, Mike Mez. Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks, buddy. It's been a long time coming. Glad we could do this. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Nearly over a year, I think, actually, since we said we'd do a podcast. But I'm glad that we waited because we've got so much more awesome stuff to talk about now, even still. Oh, yeah. Build the suspense. Yeah, build a suspense. And, you know, look, I mean, I started talking to you to give a bit of backstory, you know, started talking on Clubhouse actually around this time last year. And um, it was just at the beginning, I think, when you were starting to get ready to go back out into the storm seasons. And then all of a sudden you're out in the middle of the storm seasons and you're chatting to us on Clubhouse and you go, sorry, guys, I got to go. And I never forget it thinking, wow, this is insane. He's in the middle of a storm season. He's chatting to us in the car and then he's gone. And I, I know we'll probably talk about some of the images as we chat here this evening, but it was just incredible that we were in the middle of all of that. And then you went off and you got some banging images on that trip. Uh, oh, dude, that was, it was actually really funny. Cause I remember us chatting about that and uh, how it was like, Oh, just hanging out and you know, oh, I'm waiting for the storm. Maybe we'll get some tornadoes. And then I was like, guys, I got to go. Something's changing. And then 15 minutes, I think after I hung up with you guys, we had a huge tornado on the ground. So yeah, things change uh, rapidly. Welcome to my life. It was pretty fast, yeah. Pretty awesome as well to see the images. But I suppose, look, you know, before we even get into all that, right, in case anybody doesn't know, who is Mike Mez? Oh, that's a loaded question. How much time we got? <laughs> uh, no, man, uh, you know, I'm just a nerd with a camera. That's what I tell people. I, you know, I'm a professional photographer out of Dallas, Texas. I teach, but I also do a lot of different assignment work, in particular with tornadoes and volcanoes. Uh, I do a little bit of everything, though. I shoot a lot of landscape stuff, and I teach that. But my pride and joy is uh, photographing things that most people run away from. So, Brilliant. yeah, pretty much giant nerd with a camera. Well, do you know what? I mean, it is a very good apt uh, description because I know when we were chatting, it's like, yeah, I'm more than happy to nerd out and talk about cameras and talk about storms, talk about photography. And it's a fascinating subject, I suppose, overall for me to listen to. I mean, I've never had the pleasure of being in the middle of an incredible storm cell. And I know that we're going to talk about it this evening. So I'm really, really excited to get into the nuts and bolts on that. And I think even before we get into all that, let's just go way, 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 way back. Tell us, how did you get started in photography? <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, it's, it's a funny story, actually. And it's one that my parents kind of hate. But, you know, I'm always <laughs> the best. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, let's, let's just tell how it is. Uh, you know, I, I never had any interest in photography growing up, to be honest. I, you know, I, I played hockey. You know, I was fascinated by the sky. I was always that little kid just staring at the sky, but never had any interest in like photography or picking up a camera. And so when I turned 15, uh, you know, 15 here in the States is when you get your learner's permit to drive and you know mm -hmm. sometimes if you're really lucky you get you know a, a, a pos car to learn how to drive on 
So when I turned 15, uh, you know, I'm like, come on, you know, like any sort of car, anything to let me go explore. And uh, my birthday kind of came and went. And that afternoon, I remember my mom coming up to me and she's like, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? And I was like, well, maybe we go out, you know, celebrate my birthday. And my mom's like this little like five foot four inch Italian woman and sweetest woman out there. Also the woman that terrifies me the most out of any woman in my life. But uh, she's the most loving, loving, selfless person. But I remember like seeing her eyes light up and then she like turned and shuffled away and like went into her bedroom. And immediately at that moment, I realized, hey, they forgot my birthday. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it was maybe 20 minutes later. Or so her and my dad come out and they came out with like this uh, old school black leather case. Okay. And, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is this? And, uh, you know, maybe there's some car keys inside there. <laughs> and they gave it to me and I opened it up and it's got like this all all this like foam that's like falling apart and smells kind of weird. Oh, right. And uh, I'm pulling the foam out. And then there's this old uh, Yashica MG1 film camera with a 45 millimeter prime on it. And, I, you know, first thing that goes to my head is like, this is not car keys. <laughs> and it's funny looking car. I, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, and I looked at it and I was like, thanks. And, you know, just completely confused. And my dad uh, said something at that moment that forever set me on the path in which my life has taken now. Okay. And he said, that is my camera from when I was in the Air Force. I have no idea how to use it, never learned it, so maybe you can. Wow. And my dad and I have always had this very, like, loving yet competitive relationship. Mm -hmm. And so by him saying he doesn't know how to do something, I automatically was like, I don't care out. what this is. I'm going to learn how to do it to show you up, you know, yeah, you know, that yeah. whole competitiveness. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know anything about cameras. So I literally uh, carried around. I was, I was such a nerd. Still am. But like even more so then I carried around this silly like little spiral yellow notepad and I would take photos of very manly things because, you know, I didn't have a car. I got a camera instead. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was very limited. So I went to my parents front yard and I photographed like dead ladybugs and okay. flowers and <laughs> a little creek across the road. And I wrote down all the frames on this yellow pad and the conditions uh, of the weather outside and also uh, what the numbers were on the camera. And by the way, I had no idea what those numbers meant. I just <laughs> knew they were numbers that eventually probably meant something. Yes. Important to write at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I would save up my allowance. I would go to a drugstore get the film developed and I, I i didn't have enough allowance to get the you know same day develop so i had to get the next day mm -hmm. and then when i got it i would compare the images to my notes and see like wow. what was wrong and what i could do differently and i would go to the library i would check out a book mm -hmm. uh, by the way if you guys don't know remember or know what libraries are <laughs> they were these amazing places that had lots of books of all it's like the physical version of the internet um <laughs> and so I would go there and I would study and I, and that's how I learned. So over the years, I learned through lots of trial and error. Uh, I mean, I have buckets of film and negatives everywhere still from all those days that I was learning. Wow. And uh, yeah, so long story short, that's kind of how I got into photography and how it all started. Wow. I mean, that, that that's fascinating to hear it because it's kind of, is it purely by luck effectively that you got into photography? Because if they had to remember your birthday, they probably wouldn't have given you that camera. 
and the fact that they didn't remember your birthday and gave you that camera, it set you off on that path. But then the, the, the competitive side, as you mentioned, I think, which is really good because you didn't give up. You kind of stirred on and said, yeah, I want to figure out. But you roll everything down, even not knowing what the numbers is. That definitely tells me that you had an eye or an ear or a mind or all combined to actually get it yeah. right. It's funny how life works because, you know, it, like you said, if they hadn't forgot my birthday and my dad didn't have this camera in which he never used, who knows where my life would be, mm-hmm. you know, but, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, it's so crazy. And I try to carry that mentality with me to this day, like when things don't go according to plan or, you know, something happens and I may wish it would have happened in a different way, you know, like, I'm like, okay, you know, just trust the process, you know, if that makes sense. Trust yeah. trust the way it'll all work out how it should. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. And, it, you know, when speaking of everything happening for a reason, I mean, when you take photos with film, you're running a gauntlet effectively when you don't know what you're doing because you're all high hopes. You're taking these images, you bring them in to be developed, and you get them back and it's a roll of 24 or 12 or 36, whatever it was. How many would come out? I mean, like film was more challenging. So you had to really understand what you were doing. And and as you say, compare your notes and, and compare the conditions. And it was bright that day and I should have done this or it was dark that day and I should have done that. Like, do you think that from a film point of view that digital photography now has changed the game? And if it, if so, if you started out on a digital camera, would it have been easier or more difficult for you to, to master the exposure triangle as an example? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. You definitely get spoiled with digital, you know, you could throw in, you know, a 64 gig card and, you know, shoot for hours. And if they all suck, you just delete them, you know, or you can sit there and you have that instant gratification of, oh, well, let me try one two thousandth of a second. Okay, let me try one one thousandth of a second. Okay, let me try one one hundredth of a second and immediately see and learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Film, you know, you chose wisely, you know, you really (laughs) valued every single frame and, you know. I still carry that mentality over now. So like I teach uh, photography and I teach uh, a lot of young kids as well. And it's always fun when I do this because I like to torture them a little bit <laughs> and they'll, they'll show up and you know, be like, okay, what kind of camera are you on? And, you know, they'll be like, oh, Nikon Z7 or I'm on a Canon 5D Mark III or whatever. You know, everything's mm-hmm. digital. No kid, no, no, no young student has come up to me and been like, oh, I'm on a Nikon N70, you know, and mm-hmm. I've got 24 uh, Fuji or whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I'm, I immediately kind of get this like a little bit of sense of cockiness from them because, you know, they're like, oh, you know, I'm on this camera. And I'm like immediately thinking like, okay, you know what? They they have a big head a little bit because of the gear they're on. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do, and it's always fun, is I take a piece of gaffer tape mm-hmm. and I cover up their, uh, their LCD. And then I also take, I've got a 256 megabyte SD card still, believe it or not. And I put it in their camera <laughs> and okay. I say, okay, and they're like, what, well, what's this? I'm like, welcome to Photography 101. Welcome back Brilliant. to the film days. Brilliant. You literally have like some of the, depending on the camera, the file size, some of them will get like 10 frames uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and they can't see what they're shooting. And that's Brilliant. how I teach them. So I'm like, welcome back. This is how I learned. You have to understand metering. You have to understand, you know, you, you think before you shoot, you wait for the right moment. You just, you don't just shoot and say, hey, I'll fix it in post. Mm-hmm. You know, you try to mm-hmm. wait for that opportune moment. So yeah, I definitely think with digital, it makes things a lot easier. Obviously, there's still a learning curve, but uh, film, 
you know, you really had to value every frame and it was expensive too, you know? So it was not only did you have to buy the film, you had to develop the film too. And then you'd have to enlarge it if you wanted a bigger print, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So I think digital changed a lot. And I remember, uh, when digital first came out, I was still shooting film and I shot film for a while while digital started to roll out because, uh, there's really awkwardness of like, I was too poor to afford anything digital. And then there was this this moment where I became too poor to avoid <laughs> to afford anything that was film. <laughs> so I had to go digital. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I would love, I still have my phone cameras. So I would love to take them out and go shoot with them sometime uh, because I do, I do appreciate films so much more than I do digital, but mm-hmm. with the industry being the way it is, digital is the way to go now. And look, I mean, and you said something there, I think, which kind of tweaks something is it's the instant gratification of taking the image and knowing that it's there, whereas film, you've delayed gratification. So you had something to build up to and you've got the apprehension and waiting, can't wait to get the film black and stuff like that. But, you know, when kids are arriving with cameras, how many of them are on the auto mode? Oh, yeah. Uh, auto or P for professional. Uh, <laughs> A for awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. M for master, you know. Uh, no, exactly. And, and, you know, the the analogy that I use quite a bit when, uh, when I'm teaching is uh, I can't cook. Okay. Uh, so if I go out and I buy a $10,000 oven, mm-hmm. I'm still going to burn that meal, mm-hmm. no matter how good that oven is. If I go out and buy a Ferrari, I can't drive a stick. So I'm going to not be able to use that that car to its fullest capability. Same with the camera. You just could go out and you buy a, you know, a six thousand dollar camera body mm-hmm. and put it on, you know, P or A or whatever, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that those images are gonna be awesome. You still mm-hmm. have to know how to use it. You know, somebody somewhere is doing something way better than you are with way less than what you have. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, you know, even even this day and age, no, you know, there's no such thing as a bad camera anyway. I mean, everybody has in their pocket a phone, right? Which is far superior than any of the cameras that we may have had 10 years ago, straight out, straight out of the box, but it's on auto. So, you know, you get people that go, oh, look at this, I took it. You didn't really. I mean, you just pointed no. the phone, the picture of the phone took it. But when you take yeah. a photograph to understand the relationship between the light, what you need to do, the aperture, the speed, everything. And then you nail it. That's, I think, when you get the real reward because you did that. The camera didn't do it or the phone didn't do it. You created that image by understanding what needs to be done. And I think that's where, for me anyway, when I first started out learning photography, it's like I got a couple of things purely by chance. And then all of a sudden I went, ah, now I understand it. And it's that moment when you actually figure it out that you can replicate it thereafter. And if you keep your camera in A all the time, okay, granted, you might get some nice shots, but are you really understanding what you need to do on the fly to be able to go quickly in relation to getting that shot? So I love your way of teaching the kids. I think that's that's phenomenal. And that's definitely going to stick with them as well by blocking out the LCD screen because they can't see what they got, good or bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get dirty looks, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, one of, the, one of the things, too, that I teach, like my, my workshop participants, which are, you know, obviously a little bit older, is uh, I refer back to Bob Ross. And uh, do you remember who Bob Ross is? Yeah, yeah. The painter, the painter yeah. yeah, you know. Big ass afro, yes, you know, really soothing voice, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like the guy was amazing, and you know, he would always uh, start off his programs by, you know, talking to you in his really soothing, sexy voice, Hi, and be like, "Hi, yeah, hey, how are you today? Like <laughs> yeah. today, we're gonna paint this." And like, what I loved about Bob Ross and why I use him for a lot of my teaching is, 
before he had any paint on that canvas, he talked you through exactly what it is he was going to create, where the light was coming from, what subjects he'd want, where they were flowing. Like uh, he had a river, it was flowing this way. He had a waterfall, mm-hmm. it was doing this, uh, a little happy tree over this. And, you know, he would talk about the colors he was going to use. And before anything was, any drop of paint was put on that canvas, he knew what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So he had a vision. And that's mm-hmm. what I try to tell everybody I, I teach is have a vision before you create the image brilliant um, because that's going to give you the whole mindset of quality over quantity mm-hmm. and uh i think that's a concept that a lot of people have backwards is quantity ver- over uh quality when it comes to digital it should be quality over quantity you know just because you have a thousand frames doesn't mean you need to use 999 of them uh, absolutely you know? and you look i mean if you take a thousand frames and you get one banger image you're doing well I mean, that's, if you're doing it purely by what you intended, you're doing, you know, better than just getting it by luck, I think, which is a bigger thing there. Because, like, you look at cameras, you know, and, and I know we'll get into it, I suppose, in relation to the style of photography that you take. But, I mean, a fast shutter speed is something which is really, really important. But if you're doing something which is a slow type of photography, exactly that is, you know, conceptualize it in your head, I think, is a really, really good approach because you already got an idea what it's going to look like and what you're aiming for, as opposed to, oh, look what I got. You know, yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like it. And tell me, you know, other than absolutely insane, awesome, crazy types of photographs, have you tried other genres? Have you done weddings? Have you done uh, oh, yeah. christenings, et cetera, and stuff like that you have? I have photographed everything, um, everything you can imagine, to be honest. I did food photography for five years. I did uh, bourgeois photography for like three, four years. Wow. Photographed babies. I photographed weddings, um, all that stuff. I, I did professional sports, concerts, uh, a lot of air-to-air photography for aviation. Um, so I, I still I still do all that stuff. A lot of people don't know that I actually do that stuff. The only thing I don't do, I don't do bourgeois and I don't do babies anymore. I've kind of... <laughs> I love little kids, but I've kind of lost my patience for photographing babies. Um, and the bourgeois stuff, uh, yeah, I just kind of tapped out of that. That wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still do. I still do concerts. I still do live music. I still do uh, professional sports here and there. But I am known more so for the extreme nature and landscape side of things. But I love it all. You know, I, I really do. I like I enjoy everything that can be put in front of your lens. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, except for maybe babies. <laughs> so. Uh, so, And even judging by that, is a camera rarely out of your hands so? Because I mean, you must've grown up constantly with the camera always in your hands, always taking photographs of everything. And then from a professional point of view, you say, okay, I can do this, I do it. I can do this, I do it. So the camera effectively is your tool for creativity, regardless, as you say, what's in front of the lens. Yeah, you know, I, I'm actually working on a better work-life balance, but because uh, okay. I do find myself, it, it's like it's like I don't know. It, it's this like weird thing that I could be just like chilling, and I look over, and also my camera's in my hand. I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I photography is everything in my life. Like I always, it's 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 a curse in a way because you can't not see a frame, no matter how hard you're trying. Like. Mm-hmm. No matter if I'm out eating dinner and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, if I was photographing this food, I would have done this differently, you know, mm-hmm. or like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at a, at a hockey game watching, you know, the, the Dallas Stars, which is my favorite NHL team here. You know, I'm sitting there going, well, this is a great game, but I wish I was down there shooting, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, the camera kind of follows me everywhere. And, 
and yeah, it's, it's something I've grown up with. And, you know, I'm, I'm completely self-taught. I've never taken a photography class in my life. Wow. So I have always had my camera with me because I want to learn as much as I can. So if I see an opportunity to shoot something that may be out of what I'm comfortable with, I'm going to shoot it just to mm -hmm. try and grow and try to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, look, you have a bachelor's in criminal justice. You obtained your master's in journalism as well. I think it was back in 2012. Uh, yep. I'm looking at the degree in my wall. That's collecting okay. dust. Yes. 2012. So are, are you glad you didn't stick with law now when you think about it in relation to what you get out of life and the passion that you have for photography? Because if you were sticking in law, you'd be constantly want, I think, to have the camera in your hand as well, I imagine, would you? Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because um, I kind of, I mean... How do I put this best? I was kind of in a way pressured into the law degree. Okay. Um, I was originally going to school for atmospheric science. Okay. And when I, you know, I started that whole whole uh, uh, course and everything and and whatnot, and I loved it. I uh, learned so much through it. But when all was said and done, uh, I changed my 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 course because the pay, you know, what it was costing to go to, to university for that degree, mm -hmm. I would never earn back in the career field. So okay. um, I was kind of stuck at that moment. And my mom had actually been uh, going through the police academy, and then she got pregnant with me. So okay. she, she uh, left the police academy and became a full time mom. Mm -hmm. And my uncle was a police officer, and my cousin was a police officer. And so like that, and my dad was a firefighter. So like emergency personnel has always kind of been in my family. Yes. And so I said, you know what? All right, I'll, I'll you know, I'll go into criminal justice. And I wanted to do something with uh, the narcotics unit. Um, and I thought, you know, okay, this is going to be great. And I went through the whole uh, program. And the last semester is when they kind of start talking about like depression rates and suicide rates and like. Mm -hmm. They start showing you the videos of like, you know, police being gunned down and, you know, all the stuff that's like the reality of the job. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was like, you know, maybe this is not for me. You know, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, it's great to kind of, you know, clean up the streets, you know, and all that stuff. But like, I'm not to sound like pompous or anything about it, but like, I'm too creative for this, you know, mm -hmm. like. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is not what I want to do. And mm -hmm. so I, I got that degree, but then immediately like did not pursue it. Uh, so long story short there. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, um, I didn't pursue that. You know, I have the utmost respect for anybody in, uh, law enforcement or first responders or anything like that. And I totally appreciate them, but it just wasn't for me. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think, you know, me having the world as my office, and getting to tell stories and share stories through my imagery. Uh, that's my true passion in life. And, you know, I mean, look, you're over 10 years now a professional photographer. And I suppose, can you remember the moment when you went, hang on a second, this could become my full-time career. This could become my full-time job. Can you remember that moment or did it happen gradually? Uh, it was about three minutes ago, actually. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was in 2010. Um, I was actually, a lot of people don't know this. I was a producer for a commercial company okay. for about five years and the company, uh, was not going in a good direction and I had pretty much reached my breaking point with it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to try photography as a career. Okay. And I remember, yeah. I do remember that moment. 
hundred percent. It was wow. terrifying. It was terrifying, <laughs> and also um, liberating. I didn't have, yeah, liberating, but also very terrifying because <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have the support of many people in my life. Like uh, my dad, for instance, like love him to death, but at that point, he was very much you need to be nine to five, suit and tie, work for the man, white mm-hmm. picket fence, retirement, yada yada. So. Uh, he hundred percent did not support that okay. decision. Um, my mom, you know, my mom has always been that one. It's like, you know, here's a little tap on the rear, go get him, champ, you know, like do whatever you got to do. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, you know, there were a lot of people that said, Mike, no, uh, don't do it. And, uh, it scared the hell out of me to be honest, because I'm like, man, if this many people are telling me not to do this and this is a stupid choice, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But something inside of me was like, you know, do it. Don't take no for an answer. Well, and I did do it. And that's something that I try to pass on to anybody who I mentor or ask questions about being a professional photographer is, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's scary. It's hard as hell. There are mm-hmm. times where you want to tap out. There are times where, you know, you are always your worst uh, critic. critic you know? yeah. And uh, you but you have to know that, like, if you want it, you can make it happen. You have to bust your ass for it 100%. And you're not going to live in a huge multi-million dollar house. You're not going to drive a Ferrari, you know, like, but to me, those things are not essential in life. For me, I'd rather have those the experiences and the opportunities to share my work and something I'm passionate about or passionate about with others than materialistic things. And there's a lot to be said for that, you know, and I mean, look, I'm delighted that you made that step because, I mean, we can now really get on to talk about the absolutely insanely awesome stuff. Volcanoes, tornadoes, lightning, crazy weather and also natural disasters. You photographed them all. And before we go into a lot of details and later on, let me ask you the question right from the outset. Have you a favorite to photograph? Oh, man, <laughs> that's like asking me to pick my favorite kid that I don't have. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, uh, I I can't say I do have a favorite photograph. There there are definitely maybe let's say top ten. Um, okay. Yeah. But I mean, each one has got in that category of like top ten has got such a different story. And some some of my favorite photographs are not necessarily the most visually appealing photographs. It's the story, story behind, behind them and the effort. Yeah, the effort that went into getting that photograph or the companionship that I had there. Um, so yeah. There, there are definitely some favorites, but um, to say like there's an ultimate favorite, nah. and, and if, even if I did say that, I'm sure it would change in the next change. month or so. Yeah, you know, It depends on the circumstances, and again, it's the feelings that you have from it. And that's one thing, actually, that I love about photography is that you, you can pick up an image and you can remember the temperature, if it was oh, yeah. windy, the people that you were with, how you felt that day, even the music that you were listening to and stuff like that. It can bring back so many of those memories. And that's from you as the photographer. But what it can also do is it can stir up a lot of emotions as well in the person that's looking at the image. And that's the beauty, I think, of what photography has, because it captures so much in one single frame. It's a two-dimensional thing, but it's a three-dimensional world. And you can get lost in that world exploring an image. And that, for me, is what I love most about photography. And even in your photos, when I look at them, I go, Jesus, I wish I was there. Jesus, I wish I could see that. You know, and I mean, like to experience each of them, as you say, it may not be the photo, but the memories last a lot longer from your point of view as well, because you're now able to tell the story behind the story of the story that you've taken in the photo. So exactly. 
Exactly. And it, it's like, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause it's like, I, I can, I have a, I have a photo hanging over my desk here of a tornado with a rainbow through it. And, uh, you know, I say like, it's no big deal. It took me, <laughs> oh, yeah, years I just that photo, but you know, it's just, you know, just a normal <laughs> Wednesday here. Uh, but you know, I, there, there's a lot, you know, everybody looks at it and like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And you know, that day, like it was absolute chaos. And I can remember when I took this photo just moments before I was checking on this guy who was at the time pronounced dead, wow. um, maybe 20 feet from where I took that photo. Wow. Um, he, he was revived and he actually did survive, but wow. I, I, okay, brilliant. I found, yeah, no, I found, I found him in the ditch and, uh, immediately went over to my car and got my, my medical kit and CPR and all that stuff. And I ran back over and, um, when I kind of got a better uh, view on him, like I, I realized he was far past what I could offer um, in the field. And wow. luckily, luckily uh, an EMT showed up right then and there. And I looked at him, I was like, you got this? Cause like, this is way beyond what I'm capable of. And he, he you know, he took over and eventually like long story short, he had to be uh, helicoptered to the hospital. But then I went, uh, you know, I was like, okay, there's nothing else I can do right now. So let me take a couple of photos of this tornado because, you know, helping somebody else always comes first. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit there and take a few photos and be like, okay, hey, you okay? It was mm -hmm. it's the opposite way around. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, people look at that and they're like, oh, such a beautiful photo, but they don't know the chaos that happened just like 30 seconds before that photo was taken. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? That That's that's crazy to hear, but fair play to you, because I think you're right. You know, yeah, humans and survival comes first paramount before the photo. And if you, you'll drop your camera to go and help somebody if somebody's in need. I know we were, uh, uh, when I say we were chatting, you were talking on an Instagram thing last week and I was chatting to you on the, the messaging. And you mentioned that, you know, if you see somebody's house being damaged or anything like that, you'll drop your camera gear and you'll go make sure that people are safe. And once you know that everything is safe, then you'll go back to your camera. So that image, I think, is that personified, even in the relation to, as you say, you know, pronounced dead, but thankfully survived. Fair play to you. Yeah. 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 And tell me, you know, um, the next one I have for you is speaking of stories and such like that, right? Yeah. So last year, the Fishers opened in Iceland. <laughs> and you were on a plane faster than you can open or eat a packet of peanut M&Ms. You were there. You were gone, <laughs> right? Tell us about that trip because yeah. me, me, me following it from the sidelines, I was blown away. I mean, you know, I, you went, you were there with Thor, but tell us, tell us the story of that trip because that was insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, my, my other thing besides documenting tornadoes is documenting volcanoes and they've just become absolutely completely fascinating to me. And, uh, I remember watching, uh, not to get too nerdy here, but the seismic activity in Iceland and, you know, long story short, all the data pointed to an eruption was imminent in the Reckonist Peninsula. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was, you know, <laughs> packing everything up, ready to go. And unfortunately, I don't know if you guys have heard about this thing, but there's this thing that's called COVID that was happening. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing, you know, that bastard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was definitely throwing some wrenches into uh, me getting over there. And so long story short with this is... Um, I went and I got vaccinated, uh, which allowed me to get to Iceland. And I remember being so stoked because once the first Fisher opened, I I was pretty much going to be on the first flight over from America. Mm. And the I think it was the no two days before my flight, Iceland decided to close their borders again for like ten days. And oh man, I I remember staring at the the laptop, just watching the webcam almost twenty four hours a day. 
and wow. driving all my friends and loved ones absolutely nuts because I wouldn't move. I was just so fascinated by it and also so kind of like stressed and disappointed <laughs> because I'm like, I should be there. And uh, I'm like, oh my God, what if this thing turns off when I finally get there? I'm going to be it. so mad. Yeah. So like the FOMO was real. And, um, but, you know, going back to what we said earlier, uh, everything happens for a reason. It is really true. So uh, my fight, flight finally came about and uh, I was an absolute nervous wreck getting onto it because I'm like, they're going to shut their borders or I'm going to get their watch. And when I arrived overnight, another uh, fissure had opened up. So then there were two fissures that had opened up. And I remember getting off the plane and just being giddy as anything and also super like, frustrated because you had to get a COVID test and you couldn't leave your hotel once you're in Iceland until you got the results. So I remember just like no, yeah, yeah. being a 15 year old on their phone all day, just staring at it, waiting for like some news to pop up that like, you know, you're negative. And, uh, I finally got my negative test. And I was like, all right, onward to the eruption site. And they closed it that day oh, <laughs> because another fisher, a third fisher had opened up and they're like, we need to figure out what's going on before we let anybody in. Uh, but luckily, uh, Thor and I had teamed up, uh, and Thor had some contacts and we both had our, uh, our letters of like, uh, media coverage and we mm -hmm. were allowed in mm -hmm. and, by the time I left, uh, seven fissures had opened. There was wow. there was uh, a day I was literally sitting there watching seven fissures erupt. So if I had gone on my original trip, I would have left with just one fissure. Yeah. And yeah. you know, once again, everything happens for a reason. But it was the most incredible experience that I've had documenting a volcano. Um, absolute props to the Icelandic search and rescue teams. Those guys were so much fun uh, to work with. Because uh, one, they just kind of, you know, kept everybody informed of what was going on. And they also, you know, the Iceland used this as like a way to kind of like give everybody a break from COVID and to mm -hmm. like come celebrate a natural phenomena. And, you know, they, they gave us access that was just like, if that would happen here in the States, forget about it. Yeah. Forget and about it. yeah. Yeah. So we had extreme, extremely amazing access. And then even to the point where when search and rescue uh, kind of evacuated the area because, you know, the sulfur dioxide gases uh, were too high or whatever. Uh, I had made friends with a lot of those guys and they knew my experience with, with volcanoes and they mm -hmm. knew that I had all the gear I needed and the knowledge I needed to be out there. So there were times when, um, you know, I was the only one out there and Thor and I were the only one out there. Um, right. So that was, right. that was incredible. That was like having your own like personal volcano in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're looking around and you just see the eruption right there and you look, <laughs> there's not another soul or anywhere around. Um, that was, that was really surreal. So probably one of the most, if not the most incredible volcano experiences I've ever had. And, uh, yeah, a grateful for it and, uh, ready for, ready for round two, whenever she decides to go again. Well, you know what? I felt as if I was there with you guys anyway, but I think particularly for me, because again, we mentioned about Clubhouse. I remember I was on a Clubhouse chat with Thor and actually Thor says, I got to go, guys. And he just left the room, left, left the gun. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> he was the next day I was talking and he was like, yeah, he says, I had to go. He says, this thing went up. And I went, okay, come on, we're getting a podcast. So I did a podcast with him the day after it had, eru had oh, nice. erupted, you know, so I had him talking about his experience in relation to it as well. And then, you know, we, that's what's being there 
with you guys. You were doing live videos and everything else as well. It was insane to be able to see the whole thing going. And as you say, if you'd gone when you wanted to go, you'd only had the one. Whereas what you got there is you got an incredible array. I mean, there was even one point where I saw it had gone over and it was like a, a waterfall coming down a valley, a big long yeah. trail of it the whole way through. And you guys were there. And as you said, like, you know, you made friends with all the search and, search and rescue guys. So you had your own personal playground. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was an incredible experience. And, um, you know, like like I said, Iceland, you know, props to, to them, their search and rescue and, you know, especially just for the way they they manage that whole thing, just to just be like, hey, you know, come enjoy the beauty of nature. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, it was very different than, uh, say, the 2018 Leilani Estates eruption that I covered in Hawaii, where it was all very militarized in a way. And, you know, I had everywhere I went, I had to be escorted by the military and it was stand here. Don't leave over here. And like, I'm, I'm super grateful for those guys that for sure. yeah, the yeah. personnel that I worked with, they were, they were amazing. And obviously, you know, they had rules to buy to as well, but it was very restricted. And if you were caught quote unquote sneaking in, you know, it was a $5,000 fine and like three months in jail and wow. <laughs> versus Iceland, they're like, don't die, have fun, enjoy it. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a nice relief. Yeah, and speaking of don't die, go have fun, enjoy it. I mean, you you melted clothes, you melted yeah. drones, you know. I mean, like you were really close to the action in relation to it. But tell me, just how hot was it? Like, I I've never experienced. It. I know there's probably going to give you and uh, degrees and what such, but yeah, how hot was it, man? Uh, you know, it was I, it was hot. You know, <laughs> it's uh, um, I mean the the surface temperature of this lava, I think they measured at eighteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, which I think the lava in Leilani State's eruption in Kilauea, they measured at 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. So either way you look at it, it's hot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was, I remember there was a day that I was out there and I think it was the air temperature was, I think it was like minus five Celsius. And I'm shooting in a t-shirt and pants <sighs> because, you know, like you're, you're sweating your butt off. Like you hike out there. It was not an easy hike by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, you hike out there and it was, you're hiking in the snow and the wind and it's freezing and then you get there and all of a sudden you're sweating. It's like a, it's like a real, real life icy hot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it, it was, it was hot. And, you know, there was a day that I melted my, my pants. I, I didn't know I did it at the time. And. You know, I I like to get close. I like to push the limits. I like, you know, to get as close as I can to get those shots. I love shooting with a wide angle lens, like putting the you know lava right in the foreground. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there I, I know I know when I did it, but I didn't know I did it then uh, at the moment. But I was really close. I was maybe like half a meter away from this huge wall of lava. Wow. And I could feel myself burning. And I was like, OK, get the shot. Hurry up, get the shot. And then I'd back off and there's, you you know, your body would literally make you move. You couldn't stand there longer than what your body was able to handle. Um, but yeah, I remember driving back with Thor and, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, what the f- did you do to your pants? And I was like, what? And I looked down and they're like crunchy. And I was like, oh, cool. And I had Gore-Tex pants on and they literally melted. Wow. Um and so it was actually pretty funny. I uh, I tagged so they're marmot pants. Yeah, I tagged marmot in, and I was like, "Hey guys, just FYI, your pants are not volcano proof." <laughs> and uh, they responded. They sent me a message, and they asked me like, "What you know, what type of pants they were, and what my address was." And when I had gotten home, I had a package from Marmot, 
Wow. And uh, a note that said, sorry, uh, sorry for not lava proofing our pants. These aren't lava proof either, but hope you hope you enjoy them. They sent me Brilliant. a brand new pair of pants. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was hot. You know, it was hot where you melted the drone. Like I, the first flight over, you know, I, I, I brought my drone back and I was trying to be cautious, um, quote unquote. And yeah. I, I brought it back and I was like, the bottom looks kind of funky. And it was like all bubbled. <laughs> And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> uh, okay. And at that point, I was, I was totally, I was kind of on a kamikaze mission in a way with my drone at points because I was like, you know what? I've already melted it. Yeah. Uh, if I lose it, I don't care. Um, cool so fish. what I would do, yeah, I would go out and I'd get my establishing shots, come back, take the SD or the micro SD card out, uh, drop the the files into my NAR box, format the card, send it back out. So if I lost the drone, I at least had the previous footage. There were times where I remember I was just like, all right, time to roll the dice. And I'd fly through the lava as it was erupting. And wow. by some miracle, I did not get hit. Um, and I did this like three or four times and got some pretty epic footage that way. You but did. that drone uh, definitely got some repairs when it got home because uh, it was, <laughs> it, was it, it it still flew, but it was kind of like that awkward child that like <laughs> kind of wanted to do its own thing. So it, it flew, but it was, you could definitely look at it and be like, something's messed up with that thing. <laughs> Well, you know what? The footage that you got there was incredible. I mean, absolutely insane. As you say, you know, flying over the top of the fissure and you see the lava coming up all around everywhere. And as you say, by the grace of God, it didn't get hit by one of them. But I say the amount of drones that got hit and that ended up inside in that lava flow must have been insane because it was just amount of people there with drones all the new dgi just come out with the new fpv drones. Oh, yeah. And some of the footage you see from that was crazy. And then bang gone yeah yeah i saw a couple of them get taken out and you know who if there's anybody that's going to be walking that lava field 100 from years uh, 100 years from now they're going to be like what is this stuff and there's going to be drones sticking out everywhere um but yeah you know once again that was the difference though is iceland they're like hey fly your drones fly them below this this height because we have airplanes and helicopters in there and enjoy hawaii you could not it was a huge fine if you got caught flying a drone over this so i I wish oh my gosh i wish i could have flown the drone there because that just that footage would have been epic but super appreciative and grateful that iceland was like hey you know take it in use your creativity and uh just don't you know don't fly above you know this height yeah and also as well i mean you got to stand and take photographs in areas that no longer nobody else is going to be able to stand on again uh, for another hundred million years until all that just breaks up again because you were right next to the flow and i mean i think tor was telling me he said you remember that photograph i took there he says yeah hang on check this out and he's like i don't know half a kilometer back from where it was and it's just now a, a fissure a, a bigger part of the yeah. fissure again like so you have images that nobody else would ever be able to get because you were there which is not that position you stood in that's absolutely awesome man i love that whole idea of it you know yeah, and that, you know that's one of the things that I really love about documenting storms and volcanoes is, you know, you can go, you can go to Yosemite and photograph Half Dome. Half Dome is always going to be there. You can go to you know, uh, Iceland and photograph Skogafoss. Skogafoss is always going to be there. Storms and volcanoes are ever changing, and storms literally you have just X amount of time before they vanish into thin air. No one's mm-hmm. ever going to see that same storm again volcanoes you're literally watching the landscape change in front of you you're watching the newest land on earth be formed and you know the spots i remember there was a day in iceland that i was shooting i was literally sitting down taking it in 
And the spot that I was sitting on 12 hours later had a fissure erupt out of it. So I was literally sitting on top of a fissure and had no clue. And the, all the spots that I photographed are now at least, I think it's like three or 400 feet under lava. Wow. So it's crazy how much that's changed. And that, that is truly one of the, the spectacular things about photographing volcanoes is, you know, you're photographing kind of either the newest moments of that land or the last moments of that land. Look, mm, mm. you know, there's so much badass shit for me to fit in here. I am going to try my best, right? I want to go on to the next, which is Guatemala. Okay. Tell yeah. me, how do you even go about photographing that insane volcano? Like, what's involved in that? Because it, it it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, so th there are two volcanoes in Guatemala I've documented in the past year. Uh, the Fuego Volcano or Volcan de Fuego. Uh, or the Pacaya volcano, which is Vulcan de, de Pacaya. Okay. Uh, Fuego is the one I focused more on, more so on Pacaya. I've documented, but it's no longer erupting. Uh, Fuego, Fuego is a beast, man. Uh, I, I have such a love hate relationship with that volcano. Uh, it is beautiful. It is scary. It is hard as hell. The environment that you have to stay in to, to photograph it is just, it tests you. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, uh, Fuego's at, uh, I believe it's 13,800 feet or 500 feet, something like that. It's up there. Oh, yeah. So up one, there, you're yeah. sucking, you're sucking wind through a straw. It's uh, <laughs> you have to hike all the way up there. It, it is a horrible hike. Uh, it's pretty much straight up. And the, the weather there, the conditions are just, uh, Let's just say not pleasant. Uh, during the night, <laughs> it it could bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. During the night, it drops down below freezing. During the day, uh, it's scorching hot, so your body has no idea what's going on. Uh, the wind can be absolutely insane. There was a a time on this last trip uh, where we were on this ridge line that was probably about three meters wide, and we had close to probably sixty mile an hour winds, and it's you know, a mile straight down on each side it, with, with no ledges, nothing to get, wow. nothing to like, if you start blowing off, you can just stop at this ledge or no, you're, it's straight down. There's no, there's no stopping. And it was terrifying. Like we had to sit down and just hope that the wind died down. And then, you know, that that's freezing cold and the clouds came in. So you lose visibility. Um, I had a I had a North Face jacket tied to my backpack and it blew off while I was out there. I'm pretty sure it's in Costa Rica now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just the Fuego volcano is beautiful, but the elements in which you have to put yourself into to photograph it, uh, they really test you. And and the weather, like I said, you, you can go up there, you can survive all that, you can camp out overnight and be completely socked in clouds for days so you don't even see it so that sucks no. too when you hike all the way up there and you don't even get to see it um but when it does erupt uh it is incredible it is one of the most powerful volcanoes that i've seen erupt and it's uh it's scary too because it it, it did kill a lot of people back in 2018 um mm. so it's not you know, it's not like a, you know, Iceland, I kind of refer to as like a quote unquote friendly volcano. <laughs> Timid uh, volcano, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A kind of volcano, you know, it likes long walks on the beach, candle at dinners and puppies, you know. It, um, this volcano is dangerous. Uh, the pyroclastic flows from it, uh, the projectiles that are the size of automobiles 
wow. you have to be very, very careful around it. And uh, it's 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 a hell of a ride, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. And it looks it as well. And actually, one of the images, I think you've just they're now gracing the magazine cover, I believe. Tell us a bit more about that. It's it's, it's uh, Falcon de Fuego as well, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that image uh, of Fuego at night with the stars behind it and this just massive, massive eruption. Uh, it's actually going to be on the cover of Outdoor Photography or for Outdoor Photographer. Sorry, uh, for the March man. issue. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then there's, I think, a uh, I think it's a six or an eight page spread inside of, of more of my work and the stories Sweet. behind volcanoes. Yeah, yeah I that's mean, pretty cool. Huge honor. It's unbelievable. And it's also an unbelievable shot, man. I mean, I saw that shot before you showed it as being the cover and I looked at it and I went, wow. And then I looked at it again and I went, wow, wow. And I looked at it again and I went, <laughs> how many more wows? Because it's an incredible, like the amount of stuff within one image and one frame to explore. And I mean, okay, you know, you could say it's lava coming out of a top of a beautiful peak. But there's so much story within that and the flow of where the lava is going, the different sizes of the chunks and everything else as well. And the energy that you captured in that shot is incredible. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's, you know, the the thing that's really tough about that, and, you know, I'm actually doing a presentation on uh, on shooting volcanoes at night on this Sunday. So I just got done working that presentation. And um, the thing that's really challenging about Fuego and shooting it at night is one, you don't know when the explosion is going to happen. So you literally just have to kind of be sitting, staring there and waiting. Mm -hmm. um, but when they do happen, they're so freaking bright um, that it immediately blows out your highlights. Mm -hmm. And so you have to shoot and shoot and shoot and hope and hope and hope that you're going to catch it right at that perfect moment where all the trails of lava coming down, the exposure is balanced with the highlights where the cone is and where the, mm -hmm. where the, uh, the crater is. Um, and there are so, I have so many images that are just beautiful shots, but the area where the crater is, it's just blown out and it drives me nuts. Um, mm. so it's, it was a very difficult shot to get. And I remember that, that night was, uh, just full of huge explosions and I was trying different techniques and different, you know, uh, shutter durations and different F stops and all that stuff throughout the night to try and really nail it. Cause I wanted to, to get it right in camera. I didn't want mm -hmm. to fix it in post. I wanted to mm -hmm. try and get it as, as proper as I could in camera and finally got it. And that was, that was the one they selected for the cover. So pretty cool. It's, it, it's a stunning shot. And just a question for you on that. You mentioned about yeah. shutter speed. I mean, at night you don't associate fast shutter speeds. You're normally associating a slow shutter speed because it's so dark, but as you say, it's so bright there. And it's like, how, how, how long did that eruption that you took the photograph of how long did that last was it a continuous one for a couple of seconds minutes or was it a split second it was one big one can you remember uh that that was one big explosion came out of nowhere i just happened to be sitting there waiting for it with uh my cable release and altogether i'd say from the initial uh eruption to when you know everything was said and done there wasn't really left anything left to shoot except for like the the lava going down the cliff side or the, uh, yeah. the the side of the volcano, maybe 10 seconds. Wow. So pretty, pretty quick. Yeah, so yeah for sure. Pretty, it was incredible. Quick. And the yeah. thing is that's tough about it is that was, I believe a 20 or 30 seconds long exposure. So I had one go at it. Wow. So, 
you know, one as soon as I saw that initial explosion, I remember sitting there waiting, going, "Okay, is it is it too bright? Is it too bright, or is it too dark now?" Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I would trigger the the uh, the shutter and and hope. Fingers crossed that it did work out. It's an incredible shot, and congratulations once again. I think you know for getting the cover of the illustrious magazine and the feature yeah, as thanks. well. I mean, look, well deserved. You know, I mean, look, you know, your work is incredible, and delighted that it's going to get even more uh, of a showcase now as well, based on that. And it's not easy to get those shots, as you said. It's hard work, you know. So yeah, you, know, you, uh, you put in, you put in the work, you get the reward. You know. Yeah, the funny, the funny story that people don't know behind that image is. Uh... Later that night, I actually got severe hypothermia, and we had a wow. really big scare up on the volcano. Um, I, I got delusional, started seeing things, uh, started taking off my clothes, which is wow. not a good not a good sign. Uh, and luckily, uh, had some friends up there that were uh, very kind to wake up at like three thirty in the morning and and help me out. But that was wow. that was scary, you know. It was definitely a quick reminder of where you're at. Absolutely, absolutely. Last volcano question I have for you yeah, is sure. something you know about taking to the air. You mentioned it a moment ago here in relation to Hawaii. So you know you've taken to the air, I believe, in helicopter to get uh, photos of the volcanoes in Hawaii. What is it like, not only to be in the helicopter above a volcano in Hawaii, but <laughs> to be above a helicopter and, and to get those type of shots? Is it a completely surreal situation? Are you more you know fascinated by it? Are you on point. This is what I'm doing. This is I don't uh, care about the helicopter. This is my shot. Yeah, you know, you have to everything, all of the above, <laughs> Deep, okay. all of the above. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it's fascinating uh, to see it from the air. You definitely get a a better grasp. Uh, I feel with the entire like scope of the scene there, and like with Hawaii, it was very difficult to see a lot of the eruption because the uh the rivers of lava had built up essentially a a wall that was so high it was almost 90 feet high in spots i believe that you couldn't even see the lava anymore so you had idea you had an idea that there's a huge river of lava there you just couldn't see it mm-hmm. um same with the fissures uh you knew they were there and some some of them you could see but you couldn't really see them all that clearly because of all the sulfur dioxide gas or mm-hmm. because of just the heat waves coming off of the lava, it distorted the entire scene. So seeing it from the air, you really got a good perspective on just how large the event was and just how powerful the fissures were. So yeah, when I was up there, I remember taking some time, putting the camera down and just kind of, wow, let me look at this. Mm. Um, but then you also, are, you know, ex- they're expensive rides. So you yeah. really have to t- take in each minute and use it. Um, so I got very, very focused very, very quickly on the imagery and trying to photograph different parts of the event, not just the fissures. The fissures are beautiful, but there were so many different little intricate details from the air that I wanted to capture, like areas where you could see the lava went around a home, but, you know, hit another home or, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately we did see homes burning and, you know, from a journalistic standpoint, those are images you want to capture. Uh, you know, you would see the ocean entry. So where the lava was entering the ocean, all the interactions there. So it was a fantastic opportunity to grab so many images that helped uh, expand the story. So those who aren't there um, or even those who couldn't get in the air to see it mm. had a better understanding of the event. Yeah, fair play to you. you know. And again, even looking at those images, as you say, it's get people an opportunity to be able to see that in your eyes or in eyes that they wouldn't have been in a helicopter to document that whole thing to see the awesomeness of it. Okay. Um, one last question before I go for break. Where did yeah. the dino suit come from? 
<laughs> the dino suit came from just me being a nerd. I, I've always wanted one and I got one finally. I just bought it randomly. And I, I remember harassing our uh, my parents' mailman with it. I would chase him down the street just just because I thought it was hilarious. And then, uh, <laughs> then of course, somebody was like, you need to bring it to Iceland. And uh, it ended up in Iceland. And I did it as a joke and it ended up as a stupid viral TikTok. I think it has like 3.3 3 million views now or something like that of me walking around in front of uh in front of the Fishers with this dinosaur outfit on. And what a lot of people don't realize is they look at that video and they're like, "Oh, it's so funny how you're whipping your tail back and forth and you're doing all these like dinosaur moves." And so the funny backstory to that is uh this dinosaur outfit what I didn't realize uh when I got it it, it was a kid size. <laughs> so I I put it on in front of the volcano and I ripped a hole in the top on accident. So it's it inflates, right? So I'm okay, sitting there, yeah. I'm trying to hold this thing shut so it stays inflated. But then at the same time, the little window that you're supposed to look out of that's supposed to be eye level was down kind of like mid belly button. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I'm like 50 feet away from lava. I can't see where in the hell I am. What is the flashpoint of this suit that I'm in? And yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm holding it and I'm looking down and around through the bottom window. And that's what's, that's what from an outsider's point of view makes it look like I'm dancing in front of this <laughs> volcano when really it's me going, I have no idea where I am. I really hope it doesn't get hot. So yeah. That, and, and I threw it up on TikTok. A friend was like, yeah, put it on TikTok. TikTok, this will be funny and of course 3.3 million views later here we are wow 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 brilliant well look yep. <laughs> on that bombshell we're going to take a quick break and be right back cool. after this if you're enjoying this episode of the irish photography podcast why not jump back and listen to the back catalog we have of episodes where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests gear reviews lots of hints and tips and above all else keeping you company while you drive or relax thanks very much for listening please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Talkie Podcast. So, Mike, now I really want to get onto the insane stuff, right? And I mean, like, the really insane stuff. Let's start. Let's start with the Family portraits. <laughs> oh, super sales. Okay. <laughs> how, like, how are you in constant alert when the supercell season is there are you ready i know you obviously the camera not far from you but are you ready to go at any one point are you watching the weather all the time and you're that's it you're gone yeah i sleep in my car actually no uh no <laughs> i'm, I'm ready this. man <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah one once storm season starts rolling around uh i'm watching it every day watching the short-term models uh the long-range models stuff like that um, pretty much I take May and June off. Um, I do my workshops. So I do do uh, tornado alley workshops. Mm -hmm. um, so I take people out to go photograph the storms. But um, obviously when I'm out there, uh, I'm chasing every single day for those tours. But when I'm at home, I'm just watching. And the moment I see something that looks good and isn't too, too far away, you know, Texas is a big state. So if it's within, you know, a six hour drive, I'll uh, I'll head out for that day, but yeah, it's it's high alert when it comes down to uh, storm season. Pretty much everything mm -hmm. else on life or in life gets put on hold. And tell me, you know, how do you plan? How do you go about planning a safe shoot when you don't know the area? So you know, these these cells are not in one place. You can go, okay, it's going to be on this crossroads, whatever. It's moving constantly, and you have to stay. Yeah. I imagine either behind it or ahead of it to get to the right position, depending where it is. But how do you be in a safe spot from that point of view? Because it's constantly changing. You just is it, experience 
yeah experience knowledge um you know depending on what it is i'm trying to photograph with that storm you know some storms produce tornadoes some storms produce great structure some storms have epic lightning you know and all of that you usually yields you being in a different position Mm -hmm. so i'll kind of get an idea for what the storm's doing and what i want to photograph or what i want to focus on photographing um and then i'll decide how close i'm going to get how far i'm going to stay uh, what roads I'm going to use. You know, we have uh, mapping software in the car, so I know where all the roads are okay. um, before I need to be on them. Basically, storms, you always want to be thinking two, three steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Where are you mm-hmm. going to be? What options you have? Where that next road takes you? Where it dead ends? Where it turns? All that stuff is absolutely imperative to know. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I mean, you mentioned there about tornadoes. I mean, look, as you know, my son is absolutely obsessed <laughs> with uh, tornadoes, you know, and I mean, look, you know, we were on that Instagram chat there uh, last week and, you know, you were very kind to show him your first ever shot that you took of a tornado, which was on film and stuff like that. But tell us, um, which was amazing, by the way, it's not it's stuff like that. It was an amazing shot. Oh, um, tell us, you know, about this type of photography, like what goes into like tornadoes scientists don't necessarily 100% know exactly how they form you know it's a difference between hot air rising cold air and stuff like that you get your vortex of different things but how do you go about knowing and, and looking and taking those types of shots yeah uh you know once again it's it's not just going out there and just saying hey i'm gonna go photograph a storm uh you know i have a, I have a background in atmospheric science you know I've, I've studied it through college courses i've studied it in books i've studied mm-hmm. it uh, through mentorships, you know, I, it was four, four or five years, I believe, before I ever went out on my own. Um, wow. I, I was, uh, I met a fantastic gentleman named Ken, uh, who had been chasing for like 30 years. Um, and he took me under his wing and taught me everything that, uh, he could teach me. And mm-hmm. I learned that way too. So it's all experience. And, knowledge you know you don't just go out there to storm and just say i'm going to photograph it you know you have to you have to know uh what you're dealing with or else you're going to get yourself in a predicament um Mm -hmm. or you could even get yourself in somebody or somebody else in a predicament because of your bad decisions Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. unfortunately that's something that i'm seeing more and more of and it's frustrating in a way because social media has exploited storm chasing in such a way that like now you're getting a lot of Instagrammers and influencers that are like, Oh, I want to go stand in front of a a tornado and, you know, put my arms up and take the, yeah, get the selfie and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think it's unfortunately only a matter of time before somebody gets killed, um, because of lack of knowledge. Yeah, and I mean, look, Mother Nature is Mother Nature. It does what it does. If we get in its way, it doesn't stop, you know? And I mean, that is a, a strong force of Mother Nature. I mean, you know, even my son Dylan was asking you earlier, you know, was that an EF3 or was that an EF4? Yeah. Was that an EF? Like, they're powerful. And it's not just a yeah. case of getting a photo. You have to be damn sure you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, you have to, exactly. You have to know what you're doing with, you know, your road network, with your uh with what's going on with the storm what kind of environment is the storm moving into because that will dictate how it reacts in five ten minutes the environment Mm -hmm. it's moving into uh you know what kind of visibility do you have uh you know all is your radar up to date you know like do you have cell service all that stuff and then you have to okay how do i create a photo um you know there's a lot going on and there have been you know, I've done this now, I've chased for 22 years and there have been wow. so many times 
unfortunately, where, you know, you look at a storm and in the textbook, it's supposed to do this, but nature goes here, hold my beer, watch this. And it does (laughs) something completely out of the norm. And that's where you have to be so quick on your decision and already know what you're going to do. Because if you're not reactive in that manner, you can get yourself in some trouble. Mm. And you know, it's it's always good to have somebody like you, which is experienced under your belt, which knows this, you know, which has a scientific background as well. And I mean, you mentioned a second ago, people can go on workshops with you. So first question, do you take seven-year-olds? The second is, though, no, all all jokes aside, I mean, you know, people can go on workshops with you. I mean, you know, they can find those on your website if they ever wanted to experience it safely with a knowledgeable guide and, more importantly, somebody who knows what to do as an exit clause. So how can people find information on that? Yeah, so uh, if you go to my website, mikemezphotography.com, I have all my workshops listed on there. Um, Unfortunately, all the 2022 and 2023 Tornado Alley workshops are sold out now. Um, But I do have uh, monsoon lightning workshops that are open in 2023. Uh, And those are what I like to suggest to people to come out and try first. Mm -hmm. Come out. They're a little bit more calm, the storms move slower, and you're focusing on the beautiful lightning displays that these monsoon storms do. Mm-hmm. If you like that, then you can tap into the, you know, the Tornado Alley stuff, which is a lot more driving, you know, it's a higher, uh, quicker pace, uh, higher energy, all that stuff. So I mm-hmm. uh, definitely recommend, obviously, never going out on your own and going yeah. with somebody who who knows the ropes of the atmosphere and how to chase absolutely and you know it's about it's about knowing and i think is the first thing but you know having somebody that you know has got your back as you said a second ago you know when you were you know uh, in guatemala you've got to have people around you that got your back that can keep you safe and somebody like you is going to always make sure that, that the participants are safe and if somebody can't get on that as well you've just released uh, or are releasing i believe uh, an online course on storm photography tell us a bit more about that yeah uh hold on i lost you yeah, on I don't know if my, hold on one second. Sorry. Okay. Uh, can you repeat that? Sorry. I start one more time. I think my, my earbud did something where it was like staticky for a minute there. Okay. Um, so you've just released, or you are releasing, I believe, uh, a course on uh, storm photography. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a course. I'm going to change the dates. So I kind of took it down for a minute because I realized it was on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> I was like, that's <laughs> never a good decision. Uh, so yeah, I'll be releasing new dates for it, but it's going to be a class on how to get into photographing storms. Uh, a little bit of forecasting, a little bit of understanding radar interpretation, uh, how to shoot the storms, where to position yourself to give yourself the best opportunities to photograph, say, lightning or Mamata's clouds or structure uh so yeah it'll be kind of like a intro to storm chasing slash storm photography class but it will not focus on the tornado aspect of it because i don't want to encourage people to go after the tornadic storms if you want to go photograph you know the beautiful summertime storms or even uh some of the stronger storms cool but i don't want to encourage going after the supercells and and stuff like that because one course is not going to give you enough knowledge for that Hundred percent, you know, and I, I think you're going to have that on your website anyway as well. So I'll put that link into the show notes as well, so people can go look at that and learn from that as well. I imagine because you know you're better off to learn remotely and know what to expect instead of going out there. I think blindly and kind of going. Oh, hundred oh, percent. You know, oh, this is why I, I saw. No, learn it properly so you know exactly what's going to be safe. Um, yeah. 
you mentioned a second ago as well, you know, the different types, and I'll probably butcher the name of these types of clouds, but anyway, so, <laughs> Mamatis clouds, lightning, yeah, rainbows, them. everything else, they feature in your shots, right? But you just yeah. don't take ordinary shots. The shots you get are off the charts because you're finding a phenomenal um, foreground interest in relation to that. You're finding a story within the image. Of the images that you've taken with Mamatis clouds or lightning and stuff like that, again, very similar to the question, you know, which is your favorite, this, but... Have you, have you got one particular type of uh, uh, photo you've taken or type of photo to take? Do you love shooting Mamatis clothes? Do you love shooting lightning? Yeah, so that one I actually can tell you I do have a favorite on. Um, okay. So Mamatis clouds are are beautiful and they're, you know, you kind of explain them as giant cotton balls in the sky and they usually occur on the backside of uh, thunderstorms. So I was out chasing, I think it's two years ago now with my workshop and we, the road network didn't allow us to get where we needed to be, to be in front of the storm anymore. So uh, I said, Hey, well, let's just try and shoot the backside. Maybe we'll get lucky with some modest clouds. And little did I know we were going to have <clears throat> the best modest cloud display I've ever seen in my life. And as I could see this start taking place, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, you got to pull over. You got to let them shoot it. You got to pull over. You got to let them shoot it. And then in my head, I'm like, no, we got to find foreground. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of nowhere in the Texas panhandle. So I'm like, be real with yourself. You know, it's most likely just going to be, you know, crops and fields out here. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting ready to just pump the brakes because I'm like, I can't keep them from not shooting this just because I want foreground. Sure. And then I see something kind of off to like my two clock in this field. And I'm like, oh my God, that looks like a car. And as I get closer to it, I realize it's this old abandoned like 1950s or 60s truck. It's all rusted out. And I hit the brakes. I'm like, we're stopping. <laughs> like, this is it. <laughs> and I go running out to the field, you know, completely forgetting that, you know, snakes are a thing in this area. <laughs> and I go running out through the high grass and I'm like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And it, it was a beautiful truck facing the right direction like the front of the car was facing away from the storm and it just gave me this perfect foreground and the mamatis clouds above and then the cool thing was that this storm actually had storms kind of building on the backside of it which is not all too common and those storms were producing really big cloud to ground lightning bolts so like your traditional Class. lightning bolt so not only did we have this epic foreground with an epic sky above, we then had lightning coming down. So I got a shot with the truck and Mamatis clouds lit up at sunset and two big cloud to ground lightning bolts coming down okay. just perfectly in the negative space too, by the way, like it was just like the photography gods are like, here, we know you've worked hard today. Have this. Yeah. yeah, And absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> that, that one is definitely going to get printed. Yeah, I know that shot actually. I think I've seen it as well. It's a beautiful old uh, abandoned truck, as you say, and it's covered in rust. It's very, you know, it's character in itself. But the color you got in the sky above that then as well was just incredible too, because, you know, I think it was like kind of a yellow uh, color and it was in the in the clouds there as well. Yeah, I think I just reposted it actually on my Instagram because I was I was reflecting back through and I was like, man, I really do love this shot. Let's let's throw it on the gram. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, I think I think that's it, that's everything that it had like all like this warm tone in the sky or cooler tone let's see yeah it was kind of like, i got it here it was like the warmer tones on like the highlights of the mamatis clouds the cooler tones within the shadows yeah, yeah the bolts yeah. i mean oh god that's such a sexy truck 
it just worked out what a find what a find yeah and i'd say your participants must have been going this guy he's just a god he's just an engine look what he just found from us on the side of the road and now they were he kept driving (laughs) yeah they were ecstatic and and it was funny because yeah they were all like thanks for keeping you know for 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 no no pun intended trucking on and not stopping just with an empty field Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, speaking of in, in, in insane storm photos and such like that, last year you were a judge on the inaugural storm contest. This year, I know you're not involved in relation to it. Bernard, uh, our our mutual friend, yeah. I think came came runner up with his image actually, which was the uh, the lightning bolt that he'd taken in the in the Dolomite. So, yeah. like for people that are interested in storm photography, I think it's a very very good contest. I enjoyed going along with for the ride with it last year, um, and I think it's something that people could you know, share their images because it is something, you know, maybe tell us a bit about it. It, it. It's something that's judged. It's not a case of, ah, oh, yeah, look, this is a popular image. It's something that's judged. And yourself was involved in it last year. Nick Page was involved in it. Um, you know, and I think Michael Blisky is also involved in it. So maybe give us a quick idea if people have got some crazy storm photos. Like, could they enter? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my buddy Michael Blisky put the, the contest together and, you know, we talked about it. And he's just like, hey, you know, I really want to do something that's judged for storm photographs. Nothing where it's like, you know, get 100 of your best friends to like your photo and you win, you know, Um, something that really had a panel to it and substance to it. And so he put together this contest, had myself um, and Nick Page um, and Linda. I'm forgetting her last name off the top of my head. I feel really bad. Um, But Linda Van Rossmullen. Yeah, she has a way cooler last name than I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were all judges, and uh, it, it was it was humbling to say the least because you're seeing all these incredible photographs from all over the world of storms, and you know people had you know epic lightning striking the Dolomites. Uh, somebody had a water spout with lightning bolts striking next to it. Um, so it was really crazy to see you know, what other people are photographing. And uh, it was a wonderful contest. And I know that this is now year two and it just opened back up for entry submissions. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be a judge this year just because of time. Um, but well, yeah, I think judge, you can be contested. You can enter this I year. I know, year. I know. And that has crossed my mind and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, what can I enter? Um, but yeah, it, it's a fantastic contest. So if you have any storm images, no matter where you are in the world, they just have to be taken in 2021 so that's mm. the rule Important. Uh, but yeah fantastic yeah fantastic contest to enter and uh yeah that's uh, that's uh, a great great addition to the storm photography world is that contest for sure for sure i'm looking forward to seeing what comes in it this year okay i have one new question and i'm really yeah. excited to ask you this question right so i've only asked it a few Shoot. people before now and it'll be the last question before i go for break right so okay. um is it the photographer that takes the image or is it the scene that presents itself. Ooh, deep thoughts. Um, you know what? I think it's obviously both. I think you have to, as a photographer, you have to put yourself in the scene to capture that scene. But mm-hmm. yet without the scene, you have no photograph. So you have to work in conjunction. Um, I think it's obviously way more on the photographer because you know what? Nature's going to do what nature's going to do, but you have to put forth the effort to hike there, to drive there, to wake up early, stay late, to be prepared to make the shot happen. So uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say it's both. 
Okay, yeah, we'll allow that. We'll allow that. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> okay, Mike, that was fascinating to talk about storms and such like that. And like I said, look, you know, I'll put more details into the show notes. If people want to find out more information and see some of the absolutely awesome images that you've taken over the many years from the uh, storm point of view. I'm going to take a very quick break. I'll come back. We've got our final, my normal three questions asked every single guest. They're quick fire questions. I'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the Irish Photography Podcast, why not jump back and listen to the back catalogue we have of episodes, where you'll get some great insights from fantastic guests, gear reviews, lots of hints and tips, and above all else, keeping you company while you drive or relax. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing, leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Mike, like I say, I've got three questions to ask every single guest. I'm really looking forward now to your answers. So first is a funny photography story. All right. So uh, this is a pretty good one. So back in, I believe it was 2010, uh, I was working for one of the local publications and I had the honor of getting to photograph President Obama arriving in downtown Dallas. Uh, Sweet. So, uh, being a big aviation uh, fanatic, I got to go to Dallas Love Field, which is our airport here, and photograph mm -hmm. uh, Air Force One landing and Obama getting off and getting into his limo and on the way. Mm -hmm. And so Air Force One lands and... Uh, Obama comes out, we get some cool photos of him. He's on his way, yada, yada, yada. So me being the cloud kind of guy I am, I'm sitting there going, sunset looks good. <laughs> we have Air Force One right in front of me and sunset's looking good. Oh man. Okay. So wonder if I could get a shot of Air Force One at sunset. Well, they start kind of saying, all right, media wrap up, get your gear, it's time to leave. And so, of course, I'm, you know, normally I would just like throw my gear in my pack and just grab my back and go. I'm trying to kill as much time as possible. So I'm like taking off my lens hood, reversing it, I'm <laughs> sitting there and I'm perfectly organizing my bag and I'm accidentally dropping a lens cap and I'm trying to kill as much time as possible because I know the light's getting better and better towards sunset. Um, eventually I know that I'm watched or being watched by like 70 secret service people. So I'm like, I should probably not push this anymore because I'm the last media personnel out of here. And so I throw my wide angle lens and I shoot a couple frames of air force one, almost sunset colors, not quite sunset colors, but, um, I got a really nice shot. And so I get home and edit the shot, put it out on, on, on social and it goes semi-viral. It does pretty well. Mm -hmm. So the next morning I wake up and I have an email from the secret service and I'm like, Oh my God, like, what is this? And do I open it? And then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, they already know I'm staring at it. They probably <laughs> hacked into my camera. So I open it up and, and they're like, dear Mr. Mejwell, like, uh, this is so-and-so from the Dallas secret service officer, whatever it was. Um, it's come to our attention that you were at Dallas Love Field yesterday and I'm reading it. So I'm like sweating. Yeah, and next, like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, did I accidentally photograph some secret part of Air Force One that nobody else has ever seen, you know, and put it out there for the re rest of the world to see. And I get to the part that's like the actual meat of the, the email. And they're like, we love your photograph. We would like to inquire about a 40 by 60 inch print. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh wow. thank you, baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So they they purchased a print for the office and um but yeah I was I was sweating bullets to say the least. 
That um, is probably the best one that I've had actually, you know, so far. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting kind of going, you know, please remove the image now immediately and, you know, delete all copies. Yeah. Which you, wow. That's class. Yep. That yeah. So that's kind of, kind, of, kind of cool. But also at the same time, like, you know, your butt's clinched pretty well while you're reading that. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> Email from the Secret Service. Okay. Uh, don't get yeah, that no often. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Brilliant. Okay. Next question. What gear do you shoot with? Uh, iPhone only. Thank you. Very good. No. Ding, ding. Next question. <laughs> yeah, <right>. iPhone, <laughs> original iPhone, by the way. IPhone one. Uh, yeah, it's actually a flip phone. Uh, <laughs> no, so I'm all Nikon. Uh, I've worked with Nikon for pretty much my whole career. So right now I'm currently on the Nikon Z7 II and the Z6 II with all Nikkor glass. So the 14 to 4, 24 millimeter Z, the 14 to, or no, 24 to 70, and the 70 to 200. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, be getting my hands on the new Nikkor 100 to 400. Nice. So fingers crossed. I would love to get the Z9. I just uh, have not saved my pennies enough for that one yet. Yeah, you know what? Apparently there's some really, really interesting things uh, coming out about the Z9 that it is the best camera that could ever possibly be. It has everything you could possibly want and more. Uh, so yeah. hopefully you do get it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're doing there. And what, what are you sitting it on? What legs? What's your tripod? Uh, so I use all Benro tripods. Uh, I've used, yeah, I've used a little bit of everything over the years. Really right stuff. I've used um, uh, Manfrotto, uh, Gitzo, all that stuff. But uh, Benro and I, we've worked together for about, I believe, three or four years ago, or three or four years now. And really, really like their gear. It's lightweight. They have carbon fiber options. Um, I am totally abusive to my gear. Uh, if you would have guessed that, um, <laughs> but yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it works. It, it gets the job done no matter what I put it through. So, uh, yeah, I'm on Benro sticks. Sweet. And they even work on lava. What a, what a great advertisement for them. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> they, uh, they, they even are lava proof, quote unquote. Lava proof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And the third question is VSP. Yeah. So it's a regular slot on the podcast. It's a very solid product. It's a product you will not leave home without, and you'd put your name to it if you could. What's yours? Oh man. You know, I've got, I've got a lot of products that I really love. And, and something you'll see with me is that like, I will only suggest a product if I 100% believe in it. And like I said, I'm totally abusive to my gear. Um, but one product that I absolutely 100% don't leave home without now is my case filters. Mm -hmm. And these are a game changer for me. I don't use graduated filters anymore because of luminosity masking. Like I'll, I'll, I'll work. Yeah. I'll bracket and I'll work my dynamic range that way. Um, but case filters, they're basically, you have this metal ring that goes on your, your, your lens mm -hmm. and you get one for each lens mm -hmm. and the filters are magnetic. So literally no more screwing on, no more dealing with any sort of weird holders or anything like that. Um, so it has helped me in so many situations, especially in the environments I'm in, which are usually pretty fast moving mm -hmm. to where I can just pop that filter on within seconds and shoot. Rather than needing a minute or two minutes to set up the whole holder or to screw it on or worry about something getting cross-threaded. So that is a product that I stand by. And I have the Case Wolverine set, which is a six-stop, a 10-stop. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's a three-stop, a six-stop, and a circular polarizer. And then I also have the 10-stop. And I absolutely love the quality. I love the ease. And they're, they're magnetic, like I said. Um, which kind of had me at first kind of a little bit skeptical. I'm like, okay, these going to fall off. They're going to blow mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. um, no, the, the magnets are solid. 
So I absolutely will not go anywhere without those filters. Well, do you know what? I snap with you on that one because I have exactly the same filters and I think they're fantastic. Um, yeah. And I love the whole aspect. It's just, as you say, it's bang, it's on, they don't fall off. The polarizer, there's no color cast off them either as well, which is phenomenal. I've used yeah. lots of other Zendies and you're having to go back in afterwards and adjust it. Everything is spot on. Great, great um, uh, BSP. Thank you very much for that. Okay, so nearly there, nearly done. My conversation, I think, has flown with you actually. I really, really enjoyed it. Um couple of final questions. What's next for you? Next is going to be Iceland. Uh, I'm going to go there uh, end of March, go out there, get a private workshop for Iceland. And then it is a hundred percent storm chasing time, which I am so stoked for. So that will, that will fill in the blanks for pretty much April, May, and June. Well, I, for one, I'm looking forward to following along with that journey anyway with you. I've enjoyed following along over the last year and the different things you've been doing as well. And even obviously before that, but you know, I think this year is going to be something I think special. I can feel it in my bones. I think something is going to be really good this year for you. Well, if not, I'm going to remember this conversation. I'm like, hey, do you remember back on February uh, 4th? <laughs> you said my year was going to be awesome, man. <laughs> not, if, if, it, if it doesn't work out, you can always come to Ireland. We'll make sure you have a great time anyway. Then. But speaking of that, actually, yeah. when are you coming to Ireland, Mike? Man, as soon as I can get over there, that is that is definitely high on the bucket list. So, you know, you'll be my first person to hit up and be like, dude, let's go grab a beer and explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, you know, if people want to find out more information from you, I'll put the link down below, but let's, let's tell the people where, what are your yeah. socials? What's your handles? So website is Mike Mez, M-E-Z, photography.com. And then my Instagram is just as easy. It's at Mike Mez photo. And that's pretty much what I rely on now to kind of uh, get my work out there. Super. I look, I'll put all the links into the show notes as well, Mike. It's been right an on. absolute Pleasure having the conversation. As we said from the outside, it was a long time over, overdue, but I think, you know what, I was glad that we kept it to know because I really enjoyed learning so much and more than I knew about you already. And I hope, you know, the audience as well will join in and follow on in your fantastic journey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, man. And we'll, we'll do this again next year with more Volcano and Tornado stories. Happy days, man. Happy days. I have a phrase I end every podcast with. It's bye for now in Irish, and I'll say the same to you. It's Schlange Fold, my friends. Have a good one, buddy. Hey, guys. If you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week. And remember, keep shooting.